Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Alrighty. Hi, everyone. Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders. Wednesday night, safe space here on X, no longer Twitter. Uh, we have got a fun little 45 minutes to an hour or so planned as we look at the football landscape through the eyes that truly matter. One brown, one gold. And lots to get through after what was a great weekend for the Hawks, I'm sure most, if not all of you, are still on a collective high after one of the great days at the footy. We might talk about how great a day it was uh, shortly. We are down a couple of big dogs tonight, but uh, we have plenty of other big dogs around. So let's have a chat to them. As we say, good evening, firstly, to uh, Danny Prince, who's running the show tonight. Hello, Danny. Ash, good to be here. Um, yeah, I'm, we always miss Darren and, and Weesey when they're not here, but I think you've led optimistically to start with, Ash, because 45 minutes is what we'll use spending on talking about the Collingwood game, and then the other 15 minutes we might do a little bit of a look ahead or something else. But I think uh, I think the fans will um, and our listeners will be very, very keen to dissect that game and talk about all the positives that came out of it. How many times have you watched the, the replay? Uh, twice and a couple of times I've watched the mini. So, yeah, have got my money's worth out of that match. That's for sure. Uh, Brad Clemente, hello. Good evening, all. Yes, I have had the minis on in the office and at home for the last few days. And, Ash, I just wanted to say to you, well done, because you picked it last week. You said this was our grand final, and it's how it played out. I didn't say they'd win. No, but you said you had a good <laughs> feeling that this was it. You know, you said that we we would be in the game all the way through, and we, you know, you, you thought we'd play really well, and we did. Well, the, opt- the optimism was based on the fact that they do match up well against... Yeah, the record is very good, hands. you're right. The record against Collingwood is really good. Arguably should have won last year. We said that he felt for Ginevan cheating uh, with a couple of free kicks, as he was doing back then. Um, they probably would have won. So there's that. Um, and just feeling alone. I did share the uh, anxiety over team selection that most other people felt when the team dropped on Thursday night. I said, no, I'm not sure that set the team up to win. But as we'll discuss shortly, uh, he set the team up brilliantly. And I have a few observations to make about selection, how it panned out in the game and what it might mean going forward. And we're also very happy to have tonight, hopefully with no futsal duties, uh, Simon Morrow. Hello, Morrow. Very, very good to be here. Um, yeah, we had the early game, so I couldn't I couldn't play because I was involved in the bath and bedtime. So it means that uh, I get to be here. Your clear commitments, and for that, we are very grateful. Um, as always, if you've got a question, shoot it through in the comments field. If you want to talk to us, raise your hand. I said, Danny is uh, running the show tonight. He'll be in touch and get you on to speak. Um, just make sure it's uh, it's Hawthorne-focused. If it's not about the Hawks, well, uh, there's a million other spaces going around for you to chat to, but uh, we want to focus on the Hawks tonight. So, uh, same topic, and we should have a great session or so coming up. Um, as I said, it was, uh, and as you said always, thank you for your contribution. Everyone, your support of Hawks Insiders. Five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year for really good online Hawthorne content with a couple of big pieces coming up on the Substack in the next few days. I think those of you who follow the Substack will enjoy reading. So let's take our mind back to the MCG 
Sunday afternoon at 12th on 1605, defeating Collingwood 11 7 73. The Hawks got the first two goals of the game and pretty much led, I think they led all day without looking at the, uh, the tracker. I don't think they were headed thereafter. It was a wonderful performance. Um, threatened in the second quarter, steadied beautifully. It was the sort of steadying, Danny that they did in the Richmond game for a few minutes the last quarter before Richmond jumped them again. But they got the game back on their terms, finished the quarter nicely. Were threatened again in the, Collingwood, in the third quarter by Collingwood, two goals in a minute. Harry Morrison goes bang, back to 13 points. And really, now we can say that in the comfort of hindsight, because it was very stressful to be there at the time. Um, that was the, the goal that really you know, put the Hawks back on track to win the game. Yeah, absolutely, and credit um, has to go to to Harry for standing up in a moment that really mattered. I think um, you know he's been in and out of the side this year, and um, those those moments are critical. And I, I know we all saw the uh, the the incredible bit of footage that they that the Hawks put up on their social media around um, the moments that mattered from that match, and Sam Mitchell sort of outlining. The key, the key moments in time, and uh, that was obviously one of them. There's a lot more I'm sure we'll go through, but um, I think probably the biggest takeaway I've had out of watching this match a couple of times is, um, you know, and I talked about it on the player ratings pod as well, that ability to respond when a really, really good side is throwing everything at you. And so far in previous outings, even against sort of much lesser sides in, in Richmond and St Kilda, the Hawks haven't been able to respond in a timely fashion. And it's cost us games this year. And, look, you know, winning's not everything this year. We know that. But um, you want to see that fight. You want to see that heart. And they really, really showed it um, against uh, against the Pies on the weekend. And when the Pies really uh, gave everything they had to try to get back in uh, some ascendancy, uh, the Hawks was at, were able to wrestle that back. So that's, um, that's a massive positive, massive positive for these Hawks. So they'll take a lot of comfort out of that. What were your other likes out of the game? Uh, there was a lot. Um, I think we've got to start. Um, I'm not sure if we've given it enough credence, but um, Finn McGuinness's job on Nick Dacos is one for the ages in terms of a tagging role. Um, you're happy enough if, um, if if he breaks even and it's, you know, 15 disposals each. But if you really go back and look at the game, Nick Davis, Nick Dacos, that's a throwback, Nick Davis, Nick Dacos earned two of his five disposals. He was gifted a kick in and two free kicks, and that was three of his kicks. Uh, and then his other two disposals, he actually legitimately earned in the time that he was playing. So Finn absolutely destroyed him. And I think, um, you know, that is one of the best tagging jobs I've ever seen. And there's a reason why uh, our good friend Kane Corns was, uh, was up and about after that. You know, one of his brethren really getting the job done. So that was one. Our midfield dominance, I mean, we talked about it uh, ad nauseum. But 18 to 3 in the centre clearances. Ned Reeves' ruck work was phenomenal. Um, you know, I think we had nine centre clearances just from Warple and, um, and Newcomb um, combined. Um, so, you know, triple the amount that Collingwood had, two of our players had, which is just phenomenal. Um, I, I mean, I've, I'm a very soft spot for Will Day. Everybody knows that. But his ability to hit a contest at full pace and step through, weave through, blind turn through, whatever it is, um, he is creating a trick bag that is very, very, very deep. Uh, and that's uh, incredibly enjoyable to watch the development of his midfield craft. Um, the selection that had everybody sort of up in arms was probably 
the fact that we went in with three key forwards with uh, Jacob Kaczynski coming in to join Brandon Ryan and Mitch Lewis, and it worked beautifully. Um, Mitch Lewis playing a higher-than-usual role, playing up around the wing, almost Nick Holland style from back in the day, um, taking those big grabs on the wing and getting the ball moving a lot quicker than Nick Holland used to. Um, it really worked with uh, with you know Ryan and, and Cozzy actually taking some marks and creating some contests in our forward 50. Um, I, Brandon Ryan is a huge highlight out of that game, being able to kick three goals in your second AFL game. Um, is is a fantastic effort, um, and I think the there was um, the defence as a, as a unit their best game for the year. Um, the way that they controlled a very dangerous Collingwood forward line, um, you know, the only one that sort of in inverted commas got off the chain a little bit was Jamie Elliott. But we know what he can do, and I think overall. Um, Blake Hardwick even had his measure on reflection and watching back the game a couple of times. So, um, yeah, there was plenty to like, plenty to like out of that game. I could go on for a long time, but I know we've only got 45 to an hour tonight. Um, but I'm sure Brad and Mora have some some other um, pearls of wisdom um, on that one because there was just so much to take out of it. Mora, anything that um, that Danny's missed? Um, not really, but just to bounce off, like, so, so to expand on a couple of the points. Um, and I, I thought that Lloyd Meek was sensational last week, and I was dumbfounded um, when we went with Reeves, sort of one out this week, and he, he certainly shut my mouth because um, he was outstanding, as um, as Danny said. One thing that has been sort of lacking for us, um, and it showed in a game like the Richmond game, is is that our, our lack of experience. And to that end, I mean, he's not the most experienced player out there, but a person that we've mentioned is Harry Morrison, and he's the closest thing we have to an experienced player. And and just bringing him in and showing that we're we're not just pumping games into players who are younger than him for the sake of it probably made the difference. I mean, like you said, he kicked what, in retrospect, was a really, really, really critical goal. Um, and that that. I mean, he, like I said, he's not the most experienced player out there, but just having him there would have been, um, I think, very valuable to the team. Um, and uh, one other point that I had, but it's, I've just lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, well, we're very informal here. If you remember it, um, uh, just jump back on and, and, and give it. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Well, Sam Mitchell did say on SEN on Friday that, uh, uh, that uh, Ned Reeves is our number one ruckman. He brought a spell for that. Um, so that just and because they value the hit out to advantage, if you've got midfield that's in such good form and structured so well, that's a Hawthorne midfielders at the moment, then you need to pick a ruck which is going to allow you to take advantage of that, which really for the time being makes um Reeves the number one ruckman a, a no brainer. And he more or less also said that the tribe two ruckman hasn't worked for them at the moment, so that's something they're going to have to uh. Work through the rest of the year. I don't think we'll be seeing Meek and Reeves in the same team for these last three games. I think it'll be. In fact, I don't think I'll change much any, anymore. I think I'll go with the structure they've got. I suspect for the rest of the season now with Cosy and um, Ryan playing as tall as long as Lewis, who I agree was sensational, moving up up and down the game. Now he's got his fitness base back. He was fantastic, and then you know he showed his value, didn't he, by you know working up and down the ground, but then getting that handball from Chad. On the, on the run for 50 and kicking a goal. You know, he wasn't parked inside 50. He wasn't parked in the goal square trying to grab the ball. He was up and about and moving around, and he's very athletic for his size and very mobile. So 
full advantage of that. So the forward line structure worked a treat. And we'll get to a couple of players later on who who weren't playing and what that says about it as well. Brad, um, it would be hard, but what what were you quibbled? Why didn't say bad points? Because there were very few bad points. What, what, what were you quibbled? No, very short. I think the only negatives for me was actually the post-match commentary. A few comments. I'm not sure if any of the guys saw in the media. Uh, the Nick Dacos, unfortunately, you know, got his fractured uh, kneecap. The commentary around James Blank doing it on purpose, um, I thought was a bit, I don't know, didn't really sit well uh, with me. They thought, you know, a few articles about the uh, Hawks, you know, their tactics uh, towards Dacos. We're the only team that's, you know, had the balls at the moment to play that super, super hard tag on uh, Dacos. And as Prinzi touched on, Finn played the perfect uh, tagging game. Like, it's a tough game, our footy, and, you know, it's unfortunate that Dacos got hurt. But, um, yeah, I thought that commentary was quite poor. Um, but other than that, I've spoken about it um, internally. I don't think there was a single uh, negative in the game. I thought every player uh, contributed from uh, the top down. I thought uh, Sam had a fantastic game in the coach's box. Um, I thought he'd been quite disappointing the first, you know the past three to four uh, weeks, but um, I thought he had a brilliant game. Um, wanted just to touch on James Sicily. I'm not sure if anyone spoke about him yet, but an unbelievable game. Not as good as his St Kilda game, but his stats were right up there. I think he took 19 marks, which was unbelievable. And I also wanted to touch on the younger players who I thought were really disappointing in the St Kilda game. Ward, McDonald um, in particular. But uh, that one play, Josh Ward took a massive hit, attacked the ball where um, Ash you know, touched on. Uh, Lewis eventually kicked that goal from outside 50. But that was really set up with Ward's attack on uh, the footy. Connor McDonald, I thought, had a really, really good game. Weddle kicked the goal, which was great to see as well. So, really good mix of experience um, and the younger guys. And, yeah, definitely our best win for the year. You'll be glad they didn't rest Weddle because in your selection dot section about the past four weeks, you've been saying he should be Yeah, managed. I think he's going to get the rest. So, good to see Sam does he's going to get the rest this week, Ash. It's coming. You <laughs> <laughs> say it all the time, eventually it'll be right, yeah. Brad. Uh, broken clock is wrong twice a day. Absolutely. So, um, no, I don't think he'll be, will be managed for the year. I think uh, he'll play. I made the point on the podcast. It might have been a bit of excitement, but I don't, uh, I, but I stand up. I think Weddle's got a Dipper esque strut about him. I think he absolutely loved Danny, didn't he? I think he just loves playing in front of, you know, running around the MCG in front of 60,000 people. I think he thought, well, this is what I'm born to do. I don't know about the rest of you, but this is. My stage is where I belong. And that goal in the first quarter and a couple of the runs he took off would suggest that he just, I think the bigger the stage, the better he might play. Yeah. And uh, we, we discussed it on uh, on the player ratings pod, but um, there, there's a real, real sense of how high or how good is this, is the ceiling for this kid. And, um, you know, looking back on the replay, watching him kick that goal, there was a few shades of, uh, Will Day's first goal for Hawthorne from that one, you know, that sort of from wide out near the boundary line, long way out, kicked it and off they celebrate. And um, I think I think you can see some parallels, obviously very different body type, um, Weddle and, and, and Will Day in terms of the way that they're built coming into an AFL system. But um, I would suggest that those are the two players that have the highest ceilings on Hawthorne's, on Hawthorne's list and um, to get what we're probably going to get 
17 games out of Josh Weddle in his first season. Um, he's probably, I, I'd say he's, he's a lock for top five in the, in the NAB Rising Star. Um, that's a phenomenal season out of a guy that um, was drafted at pick 18 as a key defender and who's been converted to sort of a, a halfback flanker who will eventually push into the midfield or into the, onto the wing. So, um, yeah, phenomenal uh, like talent identification and, and from Weddle's perspective, application of that talent this year uh, to get himself into the team and to stay there. I'm, I'm with you, Ash. I mean, three games to go. You don't rest a young bloke now, do you? Just let him ride out the rest of the season and uh, let him rest when the season's finished. Well, we'll talk about it at, at the end of uh, at the end of the spaces, but I mean, the, one of the fascinations this week will be how they back up. If this was their grand final, what have they got left in the tank for the last three weeks? They've got a, they're playing Bulldogs and Melbourne the next two weeks. I mean, there's no no rest there. So, how do they stack up? And I'm really keen to see how the young players, after such a phenomenal performance last week, how they back up this week. So I'd be pretty disappointed if anybody uh, of note got managed. Yes, uh, Weddle, just quickly on him, um, a work colleague of ours, Ash. Uh, Mari, uh, Annie Ma, host of uh, The Front Bar, had a good conversation with him. He loves Hawthorne. I know he's a big blue supporter, but he is very bullish on uh, Weddles, his favourite young player at the moment. And he actually uh, compared him to a young uh, Kuda, uh, Anthony Kudafidi. So if he's half the player of uh, Kuda, we've uh, got a beauty. And if you look at his body size and shape, um, I haven't thought about it, but when you wa- I've watched a bit of the replay back, you can see it there. His build, uh, Weddle, is unbelievable. He's already built really strong and he's athletic. So I can see the comparisons there. He said a young Kuda was very similar when he first came onto the scene. So one uh, to watch. Yeah. He's only done half a preseason. You've got to understand that even though he came to Hawthorne, he, he missed the first couple of weeks of preseason and then he was drafted. So he comes to Hawthorne in December. But you have to understand that most players are doing effectively a training from uh, mid-October, say. And then even if formal training doesn't start till late November, early December. So he missed all of that block. Why, why did he, he would have done some training. He wouldn't have done AFL standard pre-season training. So he effectively hasn't had a pre-season yet. To play the way he does, uh, the way he has this year has been extraordinary. Peter Birch must be actually licking his, licking his lips with anticipation, uh, Danny, about getting a full pre actually having access to Josh Reddle for every day of preseason? It's a scary thought because you're absolutely right. Like, draftees start late in preseason and, you know, they might do their own stuff before the draft, but they're finishing school generally and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So they're not really attacking it. And he's coming and won our time trials with no preseason base. Um, it is an absolutely scary thought to think what sort of athletic beast Josh Weddle could be with a full AFL preseason into him. Um, you know, clearly a guy who doesn't shy away from the hard work. Um, you don't sort of have a physique that like he does at 18, 19 without putting in some work. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, the sky's the limit for Josh Weddle. That's all I'll say. Um, he is an incredibly exciting talent and one we are very, very lucky to have on our list. And every game he plays, the price we paid to get him looks less and less and less. Yes, Mara. Uh, I thought it was really um, important that we touched on the key forwards or the forward setup because that was great. For for most of the year, we've said, look, our, 
forward line uh, sorry our midfield has been great our back line has held up but our forward line always lets us down because we can't kick a score and this one absolutely floored me when it came out after the game Collingwood has only conceded a run of goals uh, of five goals twice this uh, sorry five times this year and twice of them were this weekend for us to do that to them twice is unimaginable that's an unreal stat yeah, that's a swamp special. But um, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing when you think about it from the forward line that we had with, you know, Cozzy playing for his career and, and a second gamer and Mitch Lewis kind of playing out of the 50 entirely. Um, yeah, it floored me. Well, it's a very good stat. Um, Brad, Brad Lassing, then we'll actually put a bow in the game. No, uh, nothing more from me. No, all good. Oh, put, put your hand down. All right. So, of course, the, flip, the, the, the other benefit out of this game was that uh, suddenly, after eight months of Hawks are no good, the Hawks are tanking, the Hawks are, you know, the, the third worst team in the competition, there was a loss of media love for them this week. It's been quite unprecedented. I can't recall the media uh, being as in love with the Hawks as they have been the last five days. You can be able to cherry pick every day. Nice things being said about the Hawks. There are all the post-game interviews and a couple of big... Uh, you know, Sam Mitchell did a nice interview on 3AW on Sunday. Well, I did notice Sam was very quick to play the uh, Collingwood, uh, you know, been a great team and had a few outs and, um, you know, didn't have a lot to play for. Cards. So I think Sam's messaging... Would have been pretty clear what Sam's messaging to the players would have been uh, on... Monday. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if his player review is actually, in a lot of ways, every single negative he could find um, about, but every single negative he could find about the Hawks uh, and put it into review just to just take them down a peg or two. Then we had Mark Robinson calling them arguably the best 16th place team in the game's history, which is a bit like they're being named to surf for England, I think, but uh, it's uh, sort of a backhanded compliment almost. Then the love continued through the week. Kane Corns in love for the Hawks um, and then a very good piece has just dropped in the last few hours on afl.com.au from Josh Gavlich sort of who I think along with uh, Mark McGowan and I think probably Jay Clark are the three leading journalists uh, when it, in the mainstream media when it comes to Hawthorne they're the ones who's writing on the Hawks I tend to uh, like the most and I think they understand Hawthorne better than, than uh, most other members of the media anyway uh, very good piece from uh, Josh Gavlich he gets to Hawthorne training most weeks as well, so you've got a fair clue what's going on. Uh, it's just about how the rebuild's going and some pretty fair comments in there as well. So, uh, Brad, have you enjoyed Hawthorne being the flavour of the month? It's been really nice, but um, a lot of the commentary as well, like Kane Corns cops a lot of flack, but he's been a massive supporter of us for most of uh, the season. There's one more journalist who we need to turn still, who I don't think we're going to be able to before uh, the season ends. Ash, a good friend of ours, um, comments again on his podcast, which I've posted on my socials, which went quite nuts. And, you know, it's been a lot of commentary. So I'm sure we'll touch on it. But, yeah. Well, we'll talk about now. Damien Barrett, he's, uh, he's not buying the Hawthorne Kool-Aid yet. He's he just can't admit he was wrong. Hawthorne. He can't admit he was wrong, Damien. Now, that's what to say. We're not, Hawthorne are not world beaters. They're, they're just a, a team on the rise, it's showing some flashes of form. But he hasn't walked back his comments on tag. He's hiding behind what he said. And this is where he's actually wrong. He's hiding behind what he said around the time of the trade period where it, that, that, that their list management could be 
set up as, as a form of tanking. But he was going very hard at Hawthorne in the first few weeks of the year in, in his sliding doors column as well. The worst one, the most egregious one, was when he uh, when that, that they were clearly having trouble scoring earlier in the year, and he made the point. Well, that's part of the plan. So he's he's, he's telling Fibs when he said it was one comment at the start of the year. He was into Hawthorne tanking well through the season and the first over the first few weeks of the season when they weren't playing particularly well. To be fair, um, and that's the the hill he wants to die on. And I think that's where he's been a bit disingenuous, Brad. Absolutely, but like yeah, uh, as I said, we've beaten. Collingwood, who were first, Brisbane, who were third at the time, St Kilda, who have been in the eighth the whole year, Richmond, we led by 40 points and lost by one. We lost to Adelaide and GWS by under a goal, having led by two goals both games with less than two minutes left. And the commentary around O'Meara and uh, Mitchell, our midfield's gone from the worst in the comp to probably, you, you know, in the top, you know, five or six in terms of, I guess, uh, clearances. Uh, the youngsters have shown that they belong and that our midfield has been completely uh, changed. So I'm not sure that's exactly tanking. And he keeps on saying they've only won six games. They're 16th on the ladder. Well, uh, we only won eight last year. We're a good chance to win eight this year. We could easily have won uh, 10 or 11 this year. So um, I think he just needs to cop it, admit he was wrong, and move on. But I can't see it happening. No, he's, uh, he's very stubborn, Damo. He's a really good mate of mine, Damo. Uh, I like you a lot, but uh, he's just this is, uh, he's very stubborn when it comes to Hawthorne and refuses to admit that uh, perhaps the Hawks would be better than he thought he was. If, if, uh, if in Damien Barrett, this is Daniel, I had this thought before. If Barrett's view is that if you're finishing worse off than you did the year before and that's a result of your list moves, then why have list managers? No point having a list manager. You just get the coach to pick the list of the team at the start of the year and then you go out and play. But he doesn't, he doesn't believe, obviously, that there's any strategy in list management. Well, I mean, if he honestly believes that, he's, um, he's lying to himself because, you know, to do what the Hawks did where you do strip it back uh, and strip back a lot of your experience in order to inject games into youth, generally that's not going to result in immediate uptick in performance or results. So... Um, you often have to take a step or two back in order to go forward in the medium and the long term. So, um, you know, guys like if, if you've got um, Dan Howe and, and Tom Mitchell and Jager O'Meara and Liam Shields on your list, your coach almost has to play them just out of obligation. But if they're not there, they're not getting in the way of these young players and their ability to get games. It allows, you know, um, Warple to play his natural role as a first first rover it allows Newcomb to expand his role Connor Nash to play more midfield minutes Will Day to go into the midfield Connor McDonald to play more time Josh Ward to play on the wing Cam McKenzie to get 12 to 13 games of exposure Josh Weddle to play football so all of these flow-on effects and ripple effects that are caused by moving these senior players on even though you take a step back possibly in wins total for the for this year the the strategy the long-term plan is as clear as day to any supporter and anybody that's watched the Hawks um, this year in a in a in a detailed way, um, and their trajectory is so much higher because of the steps that they took in the off season last year to be able to <clears throat> refresh the list and go and go again. And and look, there's there's a part of it where if you're rebuilding for premiership success, you have to go backwards and you have to spend some time 
at the bottom of the table and inject top-end talent because it's all well and good having very good 150, 200-game players. But if you want to take yourself to the pinnacle, you must have six to ten all-Australian type players in your starting 22. If you don't, if you don't have six to ten, probably more in the eight to ten range, you're not going to be able to win consistently at finals level and challenge for a premiership. So you can only really get enough of those if you are able to top up high enough in the draft. So the Hawks have got James Sicily, who's one, Will Day, who's another. They got they struck gold with Jai Newcomb, who looks like he could be another with uh, from the mid-season draft. But that is as rare as hen's teeth. That doesn't happen. Jai Newcomb is one out of the box. So you can't rely on that as the way forward. You need to keep going to the draft and keep adding elite talent, um, whether, you know, the next one comes from Ward or McDonald or McKenzie, um, you know, or it's Josh Weddle. Um, you know, we might have four or five on the list now. That says to me there needs to be another couple of years where we inject young elite talent in. Hopefully we get sort of three um, top 20 picks, including Will McCabe this year in the in the draft. And then, you know, in a couple more years' time, you start to see these guys break out, inject themselves into the All-Australian conversation. And that's when you start to see the real fly up the ladder. So, um, you know, if Damo honestly believes believes what he, what he said, what you've just articulated there, Ash, I think, you know, maybe he doesn't have the football brain we think he does. Um, Mara, Luke Hodge named his top five coaches in the AFL for 2024, of 2023, sorry, on SEN with Joe Waitley today. He had uh, Sam Mitchell as number four. Is he being a bit biased? He says he's not, of course, but... Um, do you think Sam Mitchell uh, objectively stands up as one of the best coaches in the AFL this year? Yes. Um, maybe top four is a bit gen- uh, generous, but I- I'd like to think that, you know, maybe he's also talking Sammy Mitchell up to his sons. Um, because, <laughs> I you know, did I, I see know on one of the message boards... I did see that? one of the message boards said that uh, Cooper's preference is to play for Hawthorne, but it was very... Second or third-hand information, we'll see. Well, we'll take what we can get at this stage, and I'm, I'm happy to believe that that's true. But, look, um, in terms of what uh, what he's working with, he's not necessarily winning as much. But, it, it, you know, these things are often done um, expectation versus outcome. And the expectation was that we were going to be a footnote in the AFL and that we were going to come last and what have you, what have you. And and the fact that he's been able to be reasonably competitive, even in the games where we get blown out, you know, the Geelong and the, the Sydney game, for example, we, we were competitive for a half um, against both of those teams um, before falling away. I think, yeah, in terms of expectation versus outcome, Sam Mitchell is doing magnificent things with what he's got. And apart from anything else, um, exactly what Danny was talking about before, he has at least gotten everyone who was very critical in advance to see the vision. People see it now. And and his ability to um, get that out front of mind has been fantastic. It's, the vision's been there the whole time. So I mean, some people have bothered to have a look now because uh, – Followed Hawthorne closely. It's very hard for journos, and I've said this before. It's very hard, and I find it very hard as a working football journalist to be across 18 teams at once. It really is 
almost an impossible task. But it's those who are paying close attention to Hawthorne throughout the summer and the first part of the season would have seen what they were trying to do. And it's really only recently it takes a win over Collingwood. You know, you know, the Brisbane win made a few people step up and take notice. It takes a win over Collingwood in a game like that for people to really have a look and say, oh, well, I quite like what the Hawks are doing. Now, what I want to talk about earlier, and we'll get to, uh, we'll get to you, David, shortly. And also the questions are, uh, comments are piling up as well, which is great. We will get to them towards the end. It's probably best if we just sort of run through them all in a, in a rush uh, a bit later on. But I promise you we will get to them all uh, before the end of the spaces. But keep them coming through, and thank you. Um, my question for you, um, Brad, is if Sam Mitchell and the Magic Committee pick true the Collingwood game like the grand final, like Cawthorn's grand final for the year, pick the best available team, there was one glaring omission from the side, and that was Tyler Brockman, who was managed, uh, inverted quotes. Do you think they have put a line through um, Brockman? There were reports, I believe, I didn't see it for myself, but I believe Ryan Daniels, the very uh, strong football reporter out of WA, has said that Brockman wants to return home to WA next year. Do you think Sam Mitchell said, well, Brock is not part of our plans next year. I'm not going to expose him to this Collingwood game in front of 60,000 people, our potentially our grand final for uh, That's the way that it uh, looks. I think the week before Brock, the last couple of weeks before he was uh, managed, I think he was dropped last week. He was incredibly poor. It looked like he'd uh, checked out. And I think the writing's on the wall, unfortunately. I know we've been speaking about it for most of the year. There were the Liam Ryan uh, reports. Um, I saw the photos, you know, they were out for dinner and, you know, other Hawks trying to get uh, Liam Ryan in so Tyler Brockman stays. Unfortunately, I think Brocky's made his uh, decision um, and it looks like he is going to return home. Um, I haven't had any inside uh, word. I just, I'm just going off the uh, optics. And uh, if you're getting managed, you know, the last three or four rounds when you haven't really done much in-game, like he's, he didn't look uh, tired. He just looked like he's uh, checked out. So, unfortunately, um, Brockies, he really, he'd be a crucial player for us because, as we've stated, our forward line does lack uh, X-Factor. Luke Bruce is, you know, still our best small forward. Chad Wingard's last five weeks have been fantastic, but those two players probably aren't going to be um, part of our next uh, premiership team. Wingard might get a player final if he's still on the list in, say, two to three years' time. But, yeah, I think Brocky's gone. And um, I think, yeah, I can't see him coming back um, for the last three games of the season. Whitey, good evening. Good evening, boys. There you go. A um, couple of things out of that, out of what's happened, the things I've read from you blokes lately and what you spoke about in the ratings. Firstly, Ash, Collingwood re-signed for five years at the MCG with the same agreement as just finish. So our hopes of getting the Ponsford stand back have just been wiped out the door. Well, we're going to get to that, yeah. mate. It's on my, it's on my to-do yeah. list. So for the other thing was um, I want to... Dan, Danny's right. Danny is exactly right. He said during the um, ratings thing, James Sicily, they talk about attack as your best defence. James Sicily's our best defender and his kicking was... as the, He is... The best three defenders in the game are the best attacking players defenders in the game, which is Stewart, James Sicily, and we shut him down, but more. Um, they, he was brilliant. But the one thing I thought was Sam 
knew what he was doing. One of the great coaching jobs because even watching the game, I normally watch it up. I watch it ground level because of trying to get some seats. Because he had the three tools, Hawthorne kind of, Collingwood won a, we'd won a possession in our back line. And instead of giving Collingwood the chance because they're very fit, they get back really quick, we went through the centre and then went bang. Didn't give them a chance to reset their defence. Didn't give them a chance to get back and protect their areas. And we, the amount of times we got to about the, just inside the square and went long because you've got the three tools there. Lewis is either halfway up the ground and the other two boys uh, were there making contests. And that's a young um, Ryan. I want You talk about James. Well, I want to see if they sign him again, I want to see a preseason in this kid because the one thing he's got, and they spoke about in the commentary, He's got long arms, and he makes a contest of everything. He chases everything. He reaches in. He puts a hand in where he wants. But Sam's coaching to get the ball away so their defenders didn't have – because they run in waves. It didn't give their wave a chance to get back and help the defence. And I thought it was one of the great coaching performances of the year. Uh, all good points, Dave. Interesting also with um... – Last year was Sam Mitchell. Hawthorne didn't win the game, but Hawthorne was the first team last year to run Melbourne close. And that included um, Finn tagging Ed Langdon. And I'm just wondering whether um, I'm just wondering whether Hawthorne have also laid the... I know Carlton beat in the week before, but I'm just wondering whether Hawthorne have laid a blueprint for teams beating Collingwood in the finals. So Sam's, Sam's good at doing that. You know, he didn't have the cattle to beat Melbourne last year. He had the cattle to beat Collingwood this year. Um, no, it was a masterful coaching job. We will get to the Ponsford stats, uh, stand issue shortly because that, is uh, that is on my list to talk about. Uh, thanks very much for that, Dave. Um, I want to talk about, um, Danny, what do you think is going on with Sam Frost? Uh, well, if you want my honest opinion, I know that he was rested, managed uh, an injury last week, or that was the word out of the club. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Uh, I think he was dropped, but they don't want to say that he was dropped because um, you don't say that about senior players in your leadership group. Um, I, At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if he returns to the side this week. Um, one of the things about Collingwood that make, made that week the ideal week to not play Sam Frost is that the Pies don't rely necessarily on their tall forwards um, to kick their goals. So they've got Majacek and they've got Dan McStay and sometimes, you know, they'll have a rotating Ruckman float through there. But none of those guys are world beaters. Um, so guys like Blank and, and Scrimshaw and Sicily as a combined trio were able to do a really, really good job in shutting them down. Uh, and our smalls went to work on their smalls. Um, but the Dogs are a different story. Obviously, they play... Yugo uh, Hagen and Norton and Lobb and it's Land of the Giants down there. So, look, I, I probably see Sam Frost coming back in. I'm not our match uh, uh, chairman of selectors um, at Hawks Insiders. That's obviously Brad. But um, I would see Sam Frost returning to the lineup this week. But um, to be honest, and I've said this a number of times, our best wins have come with Sam Frost out of the side. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I think the calmness that the back line has without the chaos that Sam Frost brings um, is reassuring as a playing group um, that they're able to go about their work and know that they're not going to cop a hand grenade or, you know, as we're all breaking forward, a kick's not going to go directly to the opposition, um, so on and so forth. So, uh, look, I, I've, 
I've appreciated Frost as a servant of this footy club, and I, I probably wouldn't move him on. I'd keep him on the list as, as depth and cover, but I'd be hoping, if it was up to me for the remainder of the year, he would play out his time at Box Hill. Now, speaking of chaos, uh, CJ has been managed for the rest of the season now, which is always going to be the smart play. I think I might have been predicted this space last week that that would likely be the case. Um, they've decided the best thing to do now is get him uh, fit, um, have a really good look at why his body is struggling the way it is and make some changes and get him ready for the start of pre-season. It's a smart move. He's probably not Moral in Hawthorne's best 23 at the moment anyway. Where do you sit on that? There are some people who think Hawthorne should explore a trade for him because he's probably... Uh, we've got Weddle, we've got Seamus Mitchell. He's almost a per, uh, superfluous to need. You could probably get a second rounder for him. Um, are you, where, where do you sit with a player like CJ? I'm not actively trading him. No, not at all. Um, if an offer comes in that's very, very good, then you'd have to consider it. You absolutely would. But he's a great player. He, he might not be in the team at the moment. That's that's no reason to offload him entirely. But um, look, good teams have good players who are not in the team. Um, and we're fortunate to be stocked in his position. Um, and if he's not getting a game, that's great. Then whoever is getting a game has knows that they have to perform because we've got legitimate cover behind them. So that's great. Um, and he's young. He, I think, is out of contract next season. So if he isn't going anywhere but also isn't playing, that kind of puts us in a good position in that regard. Um, we can give him, a, you know, maybe a performance-based contract or something like that so that, you know, he's not not taking up salary cap space out of the team, but also um, is giving us an option going forward. One thing that I would like to explore, and I really don't, I don't know, I've, I've mentioned this once or twice and I've kind of been shot down, but I think it's worth exploring, is a complete change of position for him. I don't, I don't mind the idea of ex- experimenting with him as a pressure forward. He's got real closing speed and he could be an extraordinary weapon sitting in the forward pocket, making sure that whoever's got the ball for the opposition in our 50 doesn't get rid of it. And I think if he can't get a game in the back half of the field or on the wing, there are spots in our forward line. And using his attributes, I think he could be a real weapon for us. That is an interesting take that one I've not, I've not heard before. My worry, what I'd like to sit and do with CJ for the next few weeks is not sit with his mates in the stand having a laugh, but I'd actually put him, actually sits in the coach's box. He should be sitting alongside um, Cade Simpson and under, trying to understand what it is they're trying to do and the decisions that need to be made on the ground. Because the thing about CJ, he has all the athletic tools, but his, his, um, his thought process on the ground sometimes is what lets him down. And, you know, the, again, we talk about Frost being the chaos agent. Well, number two chaos agent the Hawthorne side is, uh, is, at, is when he's up and about, when he's playing his CJ. So I'd love to see a bit of re-education for him. And I'm not sure about the interesting thought about him being a pressure forward. I mean, he's, he's got the tools to, to play any part of the ground. Yeah, Ash, just uh, on that, I think it's a, not a bad idea by Moran. He played when he was at Gippsland Power as an underager and even for big country, he actually started his career as a forward. So when he came to the Hawks, he had predominantly played forward and centre, uh, and the Hawks actually converted him to a halfback flanker. As you do, you start him, you get him in as forward, then you play him down back and teach him the game. Interesting thought. I'd like to see him come back and just have 
one proper priest, get his body right, get a chance to you know train into the structures properly for six months and then see what happens and give him one. I'd be loath to let him go. The marketing department would have a nightmare. He's a, I don't wish he doesn't believe this when we say it, but he's by far the, he's the most. I mean, Will Day might be, and John Newcomb might be uh, catching up to him, but he's one of the most popular Hawthorne players with as far as supporters are concerned. So I think that they uh, they'd be loath to let him go, but he's got a he's got a lot of work to do. And you know, if they're picking the team for round one next year now, I think he wouldn't be in the team. And it's probably a good thing for him that he's got to work to get his spot on the side uh, going again. Now the other player we'll discuss tonight. He's out of contract. He's on the radio tonight uh, on SEN saying that he uh, that he wants to uh, that he just hasn't thought too much about his contract. I never quite believe a footballer that, that they haven't given too much thought to their contract next year. I'm sure he's desperate to to be re-signed. Is uh, James Warple? I actually did make an inquiry with the Footy Club, and I was told. Um, I was given this quote: "We're continuing to have good, positive chats with him and his manager." Obviously, the year started and his focus is on finding form and getting back to footy, which he has done. So that was uh, given to me by the club's comms team uh, earlier this evening when I made an inquiry about Warple. Where do you think he's at, Brad? What would you like to see happen? Uh, I'd love to see him re-sign. I think the club are offering him a two-year deal. I think his management probably won a three, if not a four-year deal. Just for the security, I think they'll probably want a bit more uh, money as well, which I'm hopeful the club will offer him because we do have a lot of money uh, in the cap at the moment. Uh, he's earned it. I think Warpool has been... He's going to come probably top three in our best and fairest. I think he's probably been um, one of, if not our most consistent players for the whole season. So he hasn't necessarily been the best player most weeks, but I'd say just about every week he's been in our top five at least. So... He deserves an extension. Um, he's earned it. He spoke about it at the start of the year. He said he wasn't going to focus on his contract. He was going to play out. I'm surprised it hasn't got done with only three weeks left of the year. So you can see why some supporters would be a little nervous. I know we've spoken about the quality our midfield has at the moment and the depth we have. And, you know, should a player be traded from our current team, Warps would be one of the only few who are in the age bracket and would probably get, you know, decent uh, trade back. I think you'd be able to get probably an early second round, mid-second round pick for him, but I'd be keeping him. I think he's an important part of our midfield for the future. He's in the right uh, age bracket. He probably has the potential. Will Day will probably be our next captain, but Warple does have the leadership traits to be a captain as well. Um, I heard him on the radio, speaks really well. He seems like he loves it at the club. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't at the Hawks. I just hope they can get the deal done in the coming weeks. Danny, have you worried about? No, not particularly. I mean, I think whenever you're talking about a, a Ballerine Peninsula kid, uh, anybody from that neck of the woods, you know, you've got to have a little bit of concern about Geelong. Uh, and just the prospect of them being interested in him. And, you know, like Brad mentioned, he is a very good leader. Look, we, we know I've got a piece coming out on James Warple and John Newcomb uh, ahead of their 150th respective games this coming weekend. But, um, you know, Warple has reinvented himself this week, this year. Uh, and, and, but he's not a perfect player. His disposal isn't great. His decision-making in space 
when he should hit a target isn't fantastic. He often bombs it when he should lower his eyes. Um, but what he what he is able to do and do really really well is get first hands on it in the contest. And um, you know the um, the that's a really valuable um, trait and a really valuable characteristic. Um, and you know the that's something that we don't have a heap of yet fully developed. And I think being able to bridge that gap between now and when the Cam McKenzies and the Connor McDonalds and Josh Wards transition to full-time midfielders is a really important sort of period. Uh, and so him and Connor Nash play a big role there. Um, I'd be just giving him a, a three-year contract, I think, um, you know, maybe starting higher and, 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 and dropping off, um, you know, so lower at the end. So front, front-loaded contract. Um, but I'm not too worried at this stage. I mean, whenever a contract come, it still isn't signed at this time of the year, you have to raise a, a question mark. But, um, you know, in Warple's case, the only thing I can think of is that the better he plays for the longer that he plays, the better his contract looks. So he's serving himself well by doing it the way he's doing it, as opposed to somebody like Tyler Brockman, who you just think the longer this goes on, the more likely he is to be heading back to WA. Ash. Um, as Whitey mentioned before, the off-field news out of the Hawks is the Ponsford stand deal was announced today, um, which will affect, I don't know how many people on this space it affects. Put your hand up if it affects you. I'm interested to know as little survey. The, uh, the Hawks are... Uh, the deal with basically is Collingwood, when Hawthorne's the home team and when Richmond are the home team against Collingwood MCG, Collingwood now has to give up that level two of the Ponsford stand uh, Hawthorne reserve seat holders and Hawthorne I think has corporate functions in the Harrison room that they have to not use but haven't been able to use when they play Collingwood as was the case last Saturday that will now change from next season if we are drawn to play Collingwood as the home team that will now be a Hawthorne part of the ground once again Collingwood still gets level one and sections of level four but it means that those who pay reserve seats and in some cases it's a thousand two thousand people who've got reserve seats and access to facilities in that part of the ground will be able to use them for all the games now. So um, the Collingwood still gets to use those rooms for every game. It's a bit disappointing. I think I quite like the way the Hawthorne use it with the big Hawthorne banner or the big Hawthorne signage on the side. That won't be the case when they play Collingwood uh, as a home game, but at least they get the facilities back in the stand. So I think it's a reasonable outcome. The original, the first agreement was 24 years old and clearly not appropriate anymore. Richmond are a club as large as um, as Collingwood are in terms of members. Hawthorne, pretty soon, you know, I think Hawthorne's membership will dip under 80,000 this year for the first time in a long time. But I suspect, you know, within 12 to 18 months, that membership will be back well above 85,000, maybe tracking towards 90,000 as they start winning again. Hawthorne is a very big club um, and I think it's a, a pretty good outcome for the footy club. I know it was negotiated uh, collectively by by Melbourne, Collingwood, by Melbourne, Richmond, Carlton, Essendon, Hawthorne with the MCC with Collingwood as well. Seems to me to be a pretty fair outcome. So well done to the Hawks for doing that. It just was wrong on Saturday that uh, Hawthorne was the home team and one third of the ground pretty much was all Collingwood. It didn't, uh, and a, a part of the ground that's usually pretty loud and passionate for Hawthorne at the Ponson stand just wasn't there. So I think that's a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good outcome for the Hawks. Dave, you got any comments on that? I know you were keen to. You okay to talk about that? Yep. Dave? Yeah. You happy with the Ponsford? No, no, I just, think, I just like think we're the home team. 
we should be able to, we should be get first choice the whole thing. Like Saturday night, Friday night or Saturday, trying to get tickets. You get there, I try to get two tickets side by side. I had to get the, the Hawthorne members, membership team to help me get the two tickets together. Then you get to the ground and there's seats everywhere. It's just a joke. Yeah, well, look, it was a big, and unusual. Saturday was unusual for Hawthorne. It was the first, someone said it was the first game for five years that had been, someone said to me from Hawthorne, it's the first game in five years that had been a tick, all ticketed for Hawthorne, the first Hawthorne home game for five years, which had to actually upgrade from general admission to reserve seats, which is a sign of the team that people yeah. want to go watch. And Collingwood would have been drawing huge crowds all year. So, you know, I think it, obviously, obviously it wasn't executed very well, but hopefully this, an arrangement like this will eliminate some of the TV problems. Collingwood supporters will know where they can sit. Hawthorne people know where they can sit. And uh, if you're a Hawthorne supporter, you know pretty much wherever you sit. For the, you can sit the same spot for every home and away yeah. game. I just didn't think it worked. The, the seating, like we had 60, nearly 67,000 for the Carlton game. I, I was expecting 80,000 the way they were talking, and we were 18 green short of that. Well, actually, they did say 70,000. They only got 62. So, not quite sure. The uh, usually the MCC and the home clubs have got a pretty good handle on what the crowds are going to be, but this one was a little bit under. I thought it was tracking the seventy thousand. I was a bit surprised actually when the crowd figure went up. It was only sixty-two thousand. Myra, before we go to questions, I just want to get your. I don't know if you saw the little thing on, and it's a shame we don't have Darren here for this because this the question to pose for Darren. I don't know if you saw a Channel Seven uh, snippet from Channel 7's post-game show after Geelong Port Adelaide, where Isaac Smith admitted that his daughter spent the whole afternoon watching, wanting to watch Lukey Bruce play and that he himself watched the entire hawthorne Collingwood game in the lead-up to it, everything while he was warming up and preparing for, to play for Geelong that night. Yes, I did say that. Um, and I think it's great. I think it will help um, Hawks fans sort of come to terms with his um, post-Hawthorne career, which we don't really like to speak about. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still Isaac Smith. He still loves Hawthorne. It, it, it was really, really cute. I agree. Um, him talking about his own match day and how his kid just wanted to watch Lucky <laughs> Bruce play, which is just so adorable. Um, and it, great. It, it's very easy to forget. Kind of watching him in Geelong Jumper, it's kind of easy to forget all that he did for us. Um, and it's it, we don't have to wait till he retires. Like with Buddy, people are talking about his Hawthorne career now. Um, I don't want to wait till Isaac Smith retires. Let's 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 keep our arms around him. Oh, by the way, Buddy's retirement. You know, for all the spontaneity about announcing when he had carpet injury, within forty eight hours of retiring, the books come out, book. and also a special Hawthorne version of the book. So you can buy a Buddy book from the club with a Buddy Franklin Hawthorne cover. So. Yeah, this has been in train for a little while and uh, it'll be great to see. Yeah. It'll be great to read the book. It clearly sounds like there'll be a fair bit of Hawthorne content in it and not just sort of the Hawthorne washed over and, and it'd be and it'd be a sort of a tribute to his Sydney greatness. Let's get to questions. We'll go in comments, we'll go through them and I'll I'll get you guys to share them around. Greg Fitchin says Mitch Lewis is in the elite category. Uh, well he's he's getting there pretty uh, quickly, isn't he? He's out and he's out. I think he's got the uh, the article from uh, Josh Gablich that today he's got the fifth highest average uh, goals per game of any player in the competition this year. So uh, he, that is bordering on elite status, certainly by 2023. 
Uh, from Mick, our great friend, who you play also has influence on wins, who you play twice, uh, not perfect, but a factor. 2023, 13th, Dees, Frio, North, GWS, Dogs, and Saints. So second, 13th, 2nd, 5th, 18th, 16th, 8th, and 10th. Um, so, yeah, so that's all. Look, the ladder is, the fixtures, it's not a fixture anymore, it's a, it's a schedule. Uh, when you're the bottom six team, you get, you're supposed to get more of a, more of a crap teams around you at the draw. Doesn't work out that way. From Dan, uh, Cosy looked great as a second ruck forward. Uh, Brad, uh, Cosy's your account. Quick word on how he went last week. Uh, excellent game. Played his role really, really well. I think he'll play the last three games in that role. We touched on uh, Reeves being our uh, number one. Meek will finish the season at Box Hill. But yeah, I thought Cosy played really well. Uh, attacked the ball, kicked an important goal, laid a few really good tackles. So I think that's the role for him. Coming from Hawk 12. Just heard Jai's on track to break, to break most broken tackles record this year, previously had by one Dustin Martin. That also might have been touched on in um, Josh's piece today. Yeah, he just breaks tackles for, for, for sport, really. That's just what he does now. Has a lot of fun doing it. Also says, Brocky is going. Been saying that for a month now. Family pool is strong to return home. I'm not sure what that means. You've been saying it for a month, or he's been saying it for a month, but yeah, I think it's starting to be old. Looks like a duck, walks like a duck, that he won't be here next season. It's been a fun player to watch. I don't think we'd be devastated to see him leave. They do have some other options in the short term. It means a goal like Butler. It it might be a chance for Sam Butler, who has some similar sorts of traits. Probably he's been played particularly well for Box Hill, but uh, it allows a player like Butler to get in. Um, Warples consistent this year could well could very well win the PCM. Don't worry about a top three finish. Well, he's been really consistent. I think the uh, PCM will be between Newcomb, Sicily, and Day. What do you think, uh, Danny? Yeah, they're my top three with probably Connor Nash and James Warple rounding out the top five. But what we know about the uh, PCM is it always throws up a surprise here or there. Uh, player that we didn't necessarily factor into considerations who um, comes from the clouds. So, you know, previously it was, um, you know, Blake Hardwick coming runner-up one year and uh, Dylan Moore um, a little bit, you know, a couple of, I think last year or the year before, finishing high up in the in the standings as well. So, um, yeah, you never know. But, yeah, the, the three you mentioned, Ash, uh, would be my three favourites, Sicily, Day and Newcomb as the front runners for me. From Wok, with Finn and Chad likely any new deals, who goes off the list at the end of the year? We've discussed this a couple of times, and we'll do more of this analysis once the season finishes. I think we would most people would agree Brockman looks like he's going to leave now. Josh Morris will probably struggle to get a new contract. Um, anyone else obvious at this stage, do you think, Mora? Jekka. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, that was Jekka. Yeah, Jekka, the, the body's not quite working for him. He probably did that one as well. It's a bit of a shame. Show some glimpses, but the body's not quite there. Mr. Jazz, I think we should discuss our strategy. Do we need to keep hitting the draft or consolidate with what we've got? We saw on Saturday how important depth is. I'm hearing Harry Morrison, Scrimmer and Frost all going to North Melbourne. Well, that's a first. I've not heard that one. What is our best approach? Um, well, that's interesting rumours about those three going to North Melbourne. I'm not quite sure they'll all go. Um, but Frost will be valued. Fourth on the side that... Uh, the chaos agent uh, is not best 23 anymore and decided to give him a chance to go somewhere else. He would be great for a team like North Melbourne. That's for sure. Um, I think Hawthorne, we've said this a few times, and we, Danny Hawthorne, hit the draft seriously one more time, or really draft for need 
once more this year. And then if they, they've got two picks, certainly they want to use it would be the high pick they get from wherever they finish, plus McCabe. If they can find their way into the draft to get another top 20 pick, they'd like to. That's what we think they want to do. And then from end of next season, being 2024, it's, it's more uh, trade and free agency. Yeah, they're going to have to get creative to get that third top 20 pick uh, in or the second pick in ahead of Will McCabe. But um, there's some avenues to do it. And I think we'll break that down later in the sort of like the back end of the season in the lead up to the trade period. But um, I think this is a year you absolutely have to attack the draft. You have to bring in an elite, elite talent, you know, three of them again, like we have in the last couple of years. We've been trying to really grow those stocks and, Look, if it's up to me, I'd be trying to do it one more year um, and then start to bring in the uh, sort of players from other clubs that can fit in and around these these young, talented players. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate that um, Sam Mitchell seems to value the draft a lot more than Alistair Clarkson does. Um, I've heard um, from a very good source that, um, Josh Vandaloo, who um, works um, behind the scenes at the Hawks um, and at Box Hill, has done a lot of the work around a lot of work around their strategy and the way that they attack the draft and, and the trade period. Um, and the Hawks have a really interesting structure uh, around how they value draft picks. But um, I, I believe that um, Vandaloo played a, a pretty large part in making the Weddle deal sort of um, conceivable to to internal people at Hawthorne. So, um, you know, he's he is one to watch in terms of, you know, we don't hear much coming out about Josh uh, Vandaloo, but um, apparently has quite a fair bit of pull in, in the strategy when it comes to what Hawthorne are looking to do. Yeah, very highly regarded for his strategy work at the AFL before he joined the before he joined the Hawks, Josh Vandaloo, that sort of stuff is right in his wheelhouse. A couple more from Nick Warple's interview today. Made comment about the way Weddle takes off on his runs. Heard that as well. And uh, Morrison is level-headed and 24. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, by Hawthorne standards, that makes him a veteran, but he is in quite young in footy terms. And, and I just want to sort of say, I thought his game on the weekend was exceptional. And he... Um, you know, we, we we weren't sure whether by this time he hit the Hawthorne's best 23. In Hawthorne's best 23, still not, still not 100% sure, but geez, he played a huge role in the game last week, especially with Carl Amon not playing. Um, now, don't forget, before we uh, have a quick look at Saturday, Sunday's game against the Bulldogs, the AFLW preparation step up a not match sim on Saturday, I believe it is, against Footscray down at Frankston, the temporary AFLW home of the Hawks. We'll, um, we'll have a look at that. That's actually televised, by the way. If anyone wants to watch it, um, it'll be available on, um, I think it'll be streamed through the Hawthorne and Bulldogs website as well. We'll, uh, we'll start talking more about Hawthorne's AFLW team from next week. Yes, Mick? Sorry, actually, I was just going to say two, two things in terms of the um, list from Saturday. You know, Bramble and Fergus Green might be even in more trouble than what they were before, the week before. And the other thing, looking at training this week, they had the eight-day break. They train Tuesday and they're training tomorrow, which is unusual for a Sunday game. So whether they're giving them an extra day off to give them you know, a come down, so to speak, from last weekend and they're ready to go for Sunday against the Dogs, might be worth uh, keeping in mind. And it was interesting watching Brockman and Mitchell engage on Tuesday. 
jovial, friendly, and all the rest of it. So there's no animosity from, as best you can tell, from you know 40 meters away. Um, but yeah, it was quite interesting. Uh, yeah, in that regard. And Frosty did. Yeah, I, I, that would suggest to me that uh, if, if if Brockman has left, there'd be absolutely. I mean, Sam of all people would be empathetic. Hmm. To the life situation that uh, Tyler Brockman's in, so if Brockman's made up his mind to leave, then I'm sure Sam has absolutely no problem whatsoever, and would fully understand and would be very empathetic towards it. Mm, yeah, and Frosty didn't train last week, so you know he wasn't playing, and he did, and he was running around mm. Tuesday. So again, goes to the point whether it's in size and matchup issue with the with the dogs will be interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So the AFLW. Match team is on Saturday. We'll, we'll have some. We'll talk. Start talking about the Hawthorne AFLW team uh, next week, and we'll try and get some a guest on if we can before round one to talk about their season and to preview it. Which leads us into Sunday afternoon at uh, one ten. A sneakily good game this one. The Bulldogs. Hawthorne played really well against them last time and the dogs had to pull it all stops to get the win. It was Mitch Lewis's first game back and he destroyed them in the first half. They had nobody to stop Lewis. It was only Lewis himself running out of puff in the second half that uh, prevented him from doing some serious damage. Last game, they haven't been Tassie for, I think it's about 12 weeks since they actually played in Tassie. It's the last game down there for the year. Brad, your article comes out tomorrow, but uh, just give us a little taste of, taste of what you're thinking about for this week. Uh, I think not Not too many changes. Uh, Eamon will obviously be back. I think Seamus Mitchell, unfortunately, is going to go out. I think Harry Morrison will probably go play a bit more, you know, a bit down back rather than the wing. Ward's playing that wing role really well at the moment, so probably Eamon and Ward on the wings. Harry will probably go a bit back. Um, it's going to be an interesting game. Tassie's obviously very different uh, to Marvel. The Bulldogs have bullied us a lot the last few years in the midfield, but our midfield this year, as we've seen, has been quite strong. Reeves played his best game of the year against uh, against Tim English last time. Um, but, yeah, it's whether or not... The only other change I could see is whether or not they do decide to bring Sam Frost back because the Dogs do play. They've got Norton, who Sicily normally plays on, um, Jamara Hagen, who's in unbelievable form. Rory Lobb is... Hasn't been in great form, but he still demands, you know, a key position, our defender. So if Frost comes back, I'm not sure who goes out, but um, I think we might see his name on the team sheet come Thursday night. Who's the Callum Brown of... Uh, of Riley West. Watch him to kick three plus. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting to ask you that every week. It's like, it's a question of the week. Who's, I'll try and remember the last, the last three games and make a regular feature for next year. So yeah. You're saying the Calibrand this week will be rolling with Yeah, well, uh, Dimmer plays on uh, Cody Waitman and always does a really, really just, good job on him. Destroys him. Right, he, he totally destroys him every yeah, time. the last two him. times, I don't think he's... I think he's had about two or three kicks and hasn't kicked a goal. So, um, touch what I don't put a moz on him. But, um, yeah, if, you know, Hardwick can keep him quiet, <laughs> watch for Riley West to kick three. And what's your pin lotto for this week? that's going to be the, I think he might get a few different players I think um, the Bont he's not going to be able to tag Bont last time Connor Nash actually played a really good two way role on Bont I think he'll get him again I think with the dogs uh, Lipper is to an inside for Finn probably needs to be one of their better ball users either Bailey Dale or Caleb Daniel I think Bailey Dale might be the one uh, Talor is also uh, the other one who's been in underrated form he's having a really good year it's been kicking goals, gets a lot of ball on the outside. So I'm going to probably go with, I think he'll start 
on uh, Bailey Dale, but I think he'll spend time on uh, Killorn as well. All right. Any prediction? Uh, I think... I think we're a chance. I just I think last week was our grand final for the year. Often with uh, the younger sides, when you've had a really big high, it's very hard to back up uh, the week after. I don't think um, the dogs will smash us. I think we'll probably lose by two or three goals, but we'll be in the game for most of the day. Maura, great to have you join us tonight. In your prediction? Yeah, what goes up must come down. Um, unfortunately, I think the dogs are going to roll us. Um, and I would suggest that we won't take three key tools down to Tassie. Conditions not usually great for marking forwards. Um, so I think, unfortunately, um, doesn't deserve it. But horses for courses, Brandon Ryan probably goes out. Well, interesting. And your predictions? Oh, did I miss it? Yeah, do- dogs will beat us. Um, I wouldn't want to put a margin on it. Um, but maybe five, six goals. Oh, that's a bit disappointing. I thought the Hawks would be more competitive than that. Danny, final word with you. Uh, my final word is there is zero chance Brandon Ryan gets dropped this weekend. Absolutely zero chance. I completely disagree with Mora. Um, regardless of conditions, he will play the rest of the season. You don't kick three against the top team and then get dropped the next week. So um, he'll play. I think the Hawks are a chance, but like last week, I. I'm not going to tip them and then hope that they win. So um, the dogs by three goals. Yeah, Mara, they're not going to drop him. Everybody, I think the dogs will win. I think by a couple of goals, I think it'll be another close run game. But I just think the dogs, uh, they're, they're, they've got that bit more to play for now. I think Hawthorne, I think mentally, they'll be sharper for this one. They'll study Hawthorne closely. They'll find a way to win. They've just got to if they want to play finals. But they are very flaky Bulldogs and they don't play as well away from Marvel Stadium. So the Hawks are in this one right up to their eyeballs. That's been The Spaces, everyone. Thank you for uh, taking part. Don't forget your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for all the Hawks content. Um, great couple of articles coming up in the Substack in the next few days. Don't forget our play ratings pod will probably drop We'll record, I think, Sunday night for Monday morning. Our play recap article shortly after that. So that's been it. Enjoy the rest of the week. You have another, well, another more than 72 hours to watch the replay of the Collingwood game at least two more times before we get round to 1 at 10 p.m. Sunday. So make sure you do that. There must be little bits and pieces that you missed that you need to go back and re- revisit once again. Enjoy the rest of the week. Go to the Matildas on Saturday as well. That's been great too. We'll talk to you very soon on the Hawks Insiders. Thanks and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews and so much more.